Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. Hi, this is Danielle Parrish. In today's Social Work Podcast, I'm talking with Jonathan Singer, the founder and host of the Social Work Podcast, about the podcast. Jonathan received his MSSW from UT Austin, his PhD from the University of Pittsburgh, and he's now on faculty at Temple University in Philadelphia. He had actually invited me to uh, to do an interview at SWER on evidence-based practice, and in return, I was really interested in learning more about the Social Work Podcast and wanted to interview him as well. So uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about how the Social Work Podcast started, how he selects his topics and the, the people that he interviews, and how, after the interview, the uh, podcast is actually produced. And then finally, how he connects with his listeners in a variety of ways. So I found it interesting. I'm sure you will, too. So now on to episode 64, Behind the Scenes at the Social Work Podcast, an interview with Jonathan Singer. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, Thank you for joining us today and talking with us about the Social Work Podcast. You're welcome, Danielle. Are you trying to be me? (laughs) <laughs> I am. <laughs> I get to be you for a day. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm very glad to be here uh, talking about the Social Work Podcast. Thank you for asking me to do this. It's, it's my pleasure. I, I'm excited to learn more about um, kind of how this developed and um, where things have gone since, since you started it in 2007. Great. Um, so can you start by talking a little bit about uh, what led to uh, your decision to start the Social Work Podcast? Yeah, so I was teaching a practice theory class at the University of Pittsburgh, and I wanted my students to have um, summaries of the lectures because I knew that they would be important when they took their licensure exam. And then I realized, well, if I put them on uh, the content management system, it was Blackboard at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, the, the students wouldn't have access to them once they graduated. So I decided that I would get a, a domain name, so I found socialworkpodcast.com. It was available, which is, I guess, not so much of a surprise in 2007. And then uh, got some server space, and I started recording these summaries and posting them online. And I told my students that they were there, and, and that's what I did. So it sounds like it really started out as a teaching modality to support your course and, um, you know, kind of you've taken that and you've integrated your knowledge of technology and um, it's become kind of just taken off as something that's not just reaching your students but a wider audience of practitioners and researchers. Um, Do you still use it in your courses? I, I do use it in my yeah. courses, and I feel a little bad for my students um, because I think there's something – I've heard from other uh, uh, instructors that there's something nice about assigning the podcast because it gives their students a different perspective. But my poor students have to listen to me in class, and then they have to listen to me outside of class. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do use it, and, um, and actually I use the podcast – uh, as a reminder for myself when I'm prepping for, for, for my classes. Like when I'm teaching behavior theory, I will listen to my podcast on behavior theory because it reminds me of some of the things that are important. Or, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking about um, um, uh, working with uh, 
diverse populations. I might listen to the interview that I did with uh, Nancy Boyd Franklin about spirituality in African-American families or um, any number of topics. It's a good reminder for me as an instructor um, to, to bring up things in class. So at what point did it, did it move from being um, your own summaries to uh, involving other uh, professionals within, the, within social work and I'm assuming maybe other disciplines as well? I try and stick to social workers, oh, okay. but there have been interviews, uh, a couple of folks who are not social workers. Um, um, Chris Wolf, a sex therapist, I interviewed her. Um, Nancy Boyd Franklin, she's a psychologist but is sort of an adopted social worker. Um, I, I try and stick with social workers because I think it's important for social work students to be able to access these technology resources created by and for social workers. Uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of resources out there for counselors. Um, there's the American Counseling Association podcast. It's got a lot of topics on clinical issues. Uh, American Psychological Association has uh, information out there. So I wanted the social work perspective. Now, I did a bunch of summaries of lectures that I gave. And so those were the first episodes that went up, uh, DSM for Social Workers, Crisis Intervention, The Basics. And um, uh, I, I already had those lectures written. So it was, in a sense, it was easy to to record them. And then after a while, I kind of ran out. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have much more to say. Um, uh, and so I started interviewing folks. And uh, like I interviewed um, Ed Seitz, who's a professor emeritus uh, from University of Pittsburgh. He talked about grant writing. Here's a guy who um, has successfully received, I think, almost half a billion dollars in grant funding through his career. He's never once in his career been without a grant. Like, so who better to talk about writing a grant than Ed Seitz? And I was at the University of Pittsburgh. He was at the University of Pittsburgh. I knew he was retiring, and I thought, I want to archive this. I don't want to have to come up with a lecture on grant writing for my students when Ed could do it for me. But he can't guest lecture because he's retiring, so I'll record it. So part of the purpose is to have an archive of knowledge that is in the profession and to have it so that um, I could access it and so that, you know, if you're, if you're one of two instructors in a small social work program somewhere in the United States, you can have guest lectures by Alan Rubin. You can have guest lectures by Kaya Bentley. Um, by Larry Davis talking about race and social problems. So you can have these people come to your classroom without, without any cost to you, right? So, so that's part of why I did it. What an excellent resource for, for social work educators. Um, what, what, have you gotten feedback about the use of the, the social work podcast among educators in social work? And y Yeah, I have. Um, uh, a number of social work uh, I, I've gotten emails from instructors, uh, and, and some instructors, uh, they'll email and they'll say, hey, would you, is it okay if I link to the podcast? And I just want everybody to know that it's, it's got a Creative Commons license, which means as long as you don't modify it, as long as you don't make money off of it, and as long as you attribute the content to the Social Work podcast, then you can do whatever you want with it. You can take these, you can 
take the um, the MP3 files and upload them to Blackboard. You can burn them onto a CD. You can put them on a hard drive. You can like dub them on a cassette tape and send them to your grandmother. Like it's totally legitimate. Like whatever you want to do with them, as long as you follow those three simple rules. And those are the, the it's basic academia, right? That's what we do in academia with resources. We don't modify, we attribute, and we certainly don't make any money off of it. I don't make, I lose money on this every year because I have to pay for server space and the domain name, and I don't get any money in. So, and it's a service. I mean, that's why I do it. So instructors say they like it. I get lots of emails from students. Some are looking for information. Do you have a podcast on such and such? I have to give a class presentation, or I'm trying to do a paper on such and such. Do you have powerpoints that you can send me whatever um and sometimes i'm able to say hey i don't have a podcast but the university of buffalo they've got a podcast series called the living proof podcast they have an episode on this so i can refer them to another podcast um i also get a lot of emails from social workers in the field who um say that the podcast has been really useful in helping them to pass their licensure exam hmm. And, and I, I think it's more placebo than anything else because there's nothing uh, – I haven't looked at the licensure exam list, and I don't create podcasts to prep for that. There are, there are sites you can go to. Um, uh, there are lots of paying sites you can do, um, and, and they have excellent resources. Uh, but um, – but yeah, so social workers in the field say it helped me pass the licensure exam or, you know, I work with this population. It was so nice to do this or I just got back into the field. Thank you so much. I've been listening to this. And um, practitioners and instructors from around the world have sent emails and said that they like the podcast. So for me, it's just it's it's amazing because this is something that I started for my students at the University of Pittsburgh in 2007. And it's obviously met a need. Yeah, it sounds like you have a very wide, wide audience. Um, how do you pick your topics? Um, how do you how do you decide what to do next? Um, that's a great question, and um, there are a couple different ways. So, uh, uh, folks send me suggestions all the time. Uh, in the last six months, I've gotten seventeen requests for different topics, um, and so sometimes I will get a request, and I will search out somebody with expertise. Uh, sometimes I know somebody with expertise that I know will be a good interview, um, and I will seek them out. And sometimes I'll be engaged in a conversation with somebody, and they'll say, um, you know, I really love the podcast. I really wish there were more um, episodes on community organizing because I don't really have very many on community organizing at this point. And I'll say, oh, well, you're a community organizer. Like, yes, I am. Well, let's do something with that. You know, so let's, let's, let's meet that need. So those are three ways that, that um, uh, I, I come up with my topics. And there's no real rhyme or reason for the order of what I publish um, when. It's whenever I get them out. So how do you specifically engage your audience most? Is it through through Facebook? Is it through your your actual website? Um, I, and I understand that some folks are able to automatically download um, 
the podcast. So can you talk a little bit about that and for, for folks that are trying to stay continuously connected to the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, so there are a lot of different ways that I connect with listeners. One of the ways is sometimes, sometimes people um, post comments on the Social Work Podcast website. More often, they go to Facebook because there's a Facebook uh, fan page for the Social Work Podcast. And right now, there are almost 1,500 fans of the Social Work Podcast um, from all over. And um, uh, if you're a fan of the Social Work Podcast, then whenever there's a new episode, it it automatically says, hey, there's a new episode, and, and people like it. You know, they click the like button or they'll leave a comment. Um, I also have a Twitter feed for the Social Work Podcast. And so um, sometimes I'll take uh, quotes from episodes uh, and I'll just post them up there. Um, or I will say, uh, I'm, I'm interviewing um, Danielle Parrish on evidence-based practice. Is there anything you would like me to ask her? And I do that on Facebook and then people can respond. And so uh, increasingly, I'm, I'm actually trying to integrate um, listeners' questions in my interviews because I think that's a really interesting way of figuring out well, what do people want to hear? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you're so you're getting feedback, and you're using multiple or through these social networking sites, and you're sounds like you're using a lot of different ways to to kind of engage your audience through social networking. Yeah, and I also have um, there's a Google Voice phone number, and so on the Social Work Podcast webpage, if you uh, on the right side, uh, there's something that says call me and you can call a number and it goes automatically to voicemail and you can leave me a message saying, hey, my name's Doug, I'm from Iowa and I'm really interested in how you work with truancy in youth. Um, could you do a podcast on that, you know, or whatever. And and so you can actually leave a voicemail if you don't want to leave a message or email or whatever. People can also email me at cooljazzatflash.net, and, you know, I respond to those. So there are lots of ways to, to connect. <laughs> Great. Um, I would imagine that you've had an opportunity to meet a lot of different people through the course of interviewing for the for the podcast and um i'm wondering what have been some of the most memorable experiences for you in this process and and just in general what the process is is like meeting with so many different people across you know the social work profession well it's been great um i um i mean people say that they learn from the podcast and i certainly learn from the interviews that i do um uh, sometimes I ask questions because I think they're good prompts, but oftentimes I ask questions because I don't really know the answers, and so I learn. I think that in terms of actual interviews, you know, they, they run the gamut. Some of the interviews have been um, just kind of awe-inspiring, and some of the interviews have been challenges to figure out, uh, you know, what's the right question, or, you know, I'll ask a question, and I realize after I've asked it, it's not a, it's not getting at what I want to get out of the question. And, you know, as a clinician, I know what that's like. But when you're having a session with a family or you're doing group or you're doing individual, like you can do it again. <laughs> but you don't want to ask the same question over and over and over again in a, in a podcast. So, so that's been challenging. But I think in terms of memorable interviews, I think that um, – like when I was interviewing Barbara Jones on pediatric, pediatric oncology social work, I 
I teared up. I was so moved by the stories she was telling about the kids that she worked with. I totally wasn't expecting that. Um, and I think you can hear that in the in the podcast. I mean, you can't hear me crying, but you can hear the the sort of the connection, and it's really powerful. Um, another episode that was memorable, but for a different reason. Um, I was interviewing Jim Drisco about reactive attachment disorder, and we were in a hotel room, and there were somebody vacuuming outside the door, and when they would stop, construction workers. Um, outside the window would start and they would stop and then the vacuums would start and then the construction workers and it was it was a stop start interview really very challenging um but really the guests have been so wonderful um and uh really giving of their time and 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 expertise it's just been i don't know for me it's been great and i think that people have really appreciated it and so it's it's like a win-win that's the great thing this is a win-win endeavor so once you've finished the interview for, for the podcast, how do you uh, put everything together and, and, and make the final product? The final product, uh, it, it starts even before the interview, because like, I'm always thinking about um, how can I make sure that this is no more than 45 minutes. Uh, you know, if you listen to professional um, like NPR or like, I don't know, Terry Gross or something like that, like interviews don't last an hour. Really, nobody can, like, sit through that. I mean, unless you're like Bill Moyers, you know, and you're interviewing Joseph Campbell. Like, you can't do that. Um, and so so I always come up with a list of questions in advance with my guests. Um, I make sure that they're comfortable with the questions, that the questions are going to uh, get after what we, what we want. It's not like 60 minutes. I'm not trying to catch somebody in a lie. I'm just trying to get some useful information. So then we do the interview. And I always let people know that if they answer a question and they want to do over, we can totally do over. It's, it's, it's all on tape. We can edit it out. That's fine. So once I have that, then I'll, I'll edit it. I use Sony SoundForge to do the audio editing. I've got the intro and the outro music. That's already pre-recorded. I uh, write an introduction where I talk about the guest. I give a summary of what um, the listeners will hear. And then they hear what they hear, and then it's an outro. So I put all those together. I save it as an MP3 file, and I use the same settings as NPR does for their podcast, because I figure if NPR does it, it's, it's good enough for me. And then I upload it to the server, and I create something for the Social Work Podcast website. I update the RSS feed, and I ping iTunes, and then it's off and running. Wow. It sounds like a quite a process, but one that you've really been able to fine-tune. And, and obviously, I've noticed that the sound quality is really good <laughs> when I listen to the website, which is, is amazing now that I'm realizing that you do these interviews in and, and hotel rooms and when there could be vacuuming outside and, um, you know, a variety of noises in the background. <laughs> so Yeah, no, and I, that's where the editing comes in. You know, I, I really try hard to um, minimize those distractors. Um, but they, sometimes they happen, and um, if they do, I, I try and give a disclaimer up front. Like there was a series of interviews I did at um, uh, Society for Social Work and Research uh, in 2010, and there were pigeons on the balcony outside the room, and you could hear them in the background. And so in the beginning of those episodes, I, I said, and by the way, 
if you hear pigeons in the background, it's the recording. It's not not you. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess you never know what you're going to hear. That, that, that's <laughs> in, in right. A given place. <laughs> So how do you get a sense of what your your audience is, what is most popular with your audience, what they're liking that's being posted, and how many um, of, of that of a particular podcaster is being downloaded? How do you how do you measure that? You know that's a great question, and uh, um, there's this term web metrics, which is sort of measuring what happens on the internet. There's no standard these days for figuring out what are the the best web metrics. Like like in um, in academia, you can look at citation counts for articles. You know how many times has your article been cited, um, or you can look at an impact factor for a journal. And there's you know there's there's a formula for that. I use uh, Google Analytics which is a free program, and I also use uh, Webalizer, which is on the server. And those are two programs that give me data on who's listening, on, on what podcasts are, are being downloaded and, and how many visitors and where they're from and all that sort of stuff. To the best that I can tell, um, each episode is being downloaded. When it's first posted, it's downloaded between 3,500 and 7,500 7, times. And then it goes down each month. And I think that's because there are a lot of people who subscribe on iTunes. And so when there's a new episode, iTunes automatically downloads it to your computer. And in fact, that's the definition of a podcast. A podcast is the combination of an audio file or a video file and the technology uh, called Real Simple Syndication or RSS that allows people to uh, subscribe. And when you subscribe, that means it comes to you. You don't have to look for it. And that's what distinguishes podcasts from the technology that was around in the late 90s in the Internet where you could listen to audio on the web. And all that started around 2004. And so um, I know uh, the interview on cognitive behavioral therapy has been downloaded 30,000-plus times. I don't know if people have listened to it 30,000-plus times. I don't know if it was 30,000 individual unique downloads it could be that somebody downloaded it and then their computer crashed they downloaded it again um uh it's the same thing with visitors i know that there have been about a hundred thousand unique visitors come to the site so each visitor counts one time i count only once in that number but i know that there have been over three hundred thousand page hits or page views um and so I get that information. I also know that there have been visitors from 178 countries. And I know that most of them are from the United States, but there are a lot from other English-speaking countries. But there are also listeners in Iran and India and uh, a bunch of countries in Africa. And, uh, and I find that really interesting, too. I wonder who those people are. But that's not the kind of information I can get off of the Internet. And so that's why when people contact me, I ask them, how did you find the, the the podcast? What episodes do you listen to? Um, and so then I just get, you know, mm-hmm. basic, um, uh, what's that called? Anecdotal. 
Yeah, I get anecdotal. (laughs) (laughs) I get anecdotal feedback. So, yeah. So it does sound like a very hard thing to measure. Um, I'm intrigued by the fact that you're getting um, folks that are viewing the podcast from all around the world. Um, Do you get requests for different types of um, topics from other countries? And and, and what have those kind of looked like? Yeah, yeah. I got a request from somebody uh, in Iran on um, uh, group work with um, people with addictions in Iran, Um, and I had no idea how to do that podcast. Um, I've been in touch with some folks in Australia. Um, There are some concepts in social work that they teach there that we don't teach in the United States, and they've asked for me to do episodes on those concepts and I've had to look them up. So I've had discussions with folks and off the top of my head, I can't remember the names of them, like the concepts. Um, but, uh, that's interesting. And I've really actually wanted to do, um, an episode where I have social workers from different countries talking about what social work is like in that country or what the role of social workers is. I think that would be a really interesting, um, sort of international podcast. Yeah. That sounds like it'd be fascinating. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been very interesting for me to learn more about um, kind of the background and history and uh, you know ongoing process with, with the Social Work Podcast. And um, I look forward to being a, uh, an ongoing subscriber. <laughs> well, thank you, Danielle. Thanks for interviewing me. It's fun to, uh, to talk about it. Uh, uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. I'm glad you suggested it. I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com slash swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast.